Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 267. Today's big Bible questions, is God just or merciful, and why are the wages of sin death? Well, hello, friends, and happy Saturday to you. In honor of my wife's birthday, which is today, we're going to dive into things today with no introduction, just the facts, ma'am. So it's going to be short and sweet today. Today's Bible readings include 2 Samuel 15, which makes up for its lack of violence with the presence of intrigue, conspiracy, revolt, and rebellion, as well as Psalm 69, Ezekiel 21, and 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, our focus passage could be any one of our three Old Testament passages, but primarily it's going to be 2 Samuel 15. As you remember, we've been following the story of King David, and he has sinned terribly against the Lord, taking uh, another man's wife as his own, Bathsheba, having that precious man murdered, and all sorts of other things along with that. Now, God has forgiven him, but justice demands that reparations be paid for sin. Since King David's wicked sin, he has suffered much over the last few chapters that we've been reading. The death of one of his children, the rape of one of his daughters by one of his sons, the murder of that wicked son by another brother and son of David named Absalom, years of estrangement between the vengeful son Absalom and David, and finally today, the rebellion of that same son and his attempt to take the kingdom of Israel from his father by deception, charm, and force. Lest we have too much mercy on David, let us indeed remember that what he did was so utterly inexcusable and wrong that he most certainly deserves what is coming to him. Now, if you've been raised in the church, that last sentence may have been like fingernails on chalkboard to think about somebody getting what they deserve or deserving what is coming to them, deserving their punishment. If you're raised in the church, you've sort of been raised in an atmosphere of grace, a saved-by-grace atmosphere, and rightly so. But because of that, some Christians tend to undervalue justice. Now, I'll never forget about 15, 20 years ago, I misquoted a Bible passage while teaching. I said, mercy triumphs over justice. But a dear friend afterwards reminded me that the Bible passage actually says mercy triumphs over judgment. That's James 2.13. There's a major difference between those two statements, and my misquote was a dangerously bad one, theologically speaking, because mercy and justice are both good, and God is both merciful and just. One doesn't triumph over the other. Most people, even most non-Christians really, are quite well aware that the Bible says that God is love, which is absolutely true. The Bible also says God is just, that's 2 Thessalonians 1.6. He's not sometimes merciful and loving and other times just. He's always just. He's always loving. He's always merciful. And the thing about justice is that it demands payment. The ultimate statement of justice is, but if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That's Exodus Exodus 21, 23 through 25. This is the law of God and it's good. If Bill steals $100 from Bob, then Bill must pay back that $100 that he stole from Bob. Otherwise, a wrong can't be righted. 
David has taken a life, stolen a wife, and put his own personal needs ahead of his country in a most devious and selfish way, and there must be a price paid. God won't just look the other way and wave his hand and say all is forgiven because justice is good and right and righteous and God is good. Thus, David has to pay a terrible price for his terrible sin and that is fair. It's a hundred percent fair. Now it's also hard. So let's read the passage and as we do, let's consider how the wages of sin, the payment for our sin, is death. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot, horses, and fifty men to run before him. He would get up early and stand beside the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone had a grievance to bring before the king for a settlement, Absalom called out to him and asked, What city are you from? If he replied, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel, Absalom said to him, Look, your claims are good and right, but the king does not have anyone to listen to you. And he added, if only someone would appoint me judge in the land, then anyone who had a grievance or dispute would come to me and I would make sure he received justice. When a person approached to pay homage to him, Absalom reached out his hand, took hold of him, and kissed him. Absalom did this to all the Israelites who came to the king for a settlement, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. When four years had passed, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron to fulfill a vow. I made to the Lord, for your servant made a vow when I lived in Geshur of Aram, saying, If the Lord really brings me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. Go in peace, the king said to him. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent agents throughout the tribes of Israel with this message. When you hear the sound of the ram's horn, you are to say, Absalom has become king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem went with Absalom. They had been invited and were going innocently, for they did not know the whole situation. While he was offering the sacrifices, Absalom sent for David's advisor, Ahithophel the Gilonite, from his city of Gilo. So the conspiracy grew strong, and the people supporting Absalom continued to increase. Then an informer came to David and reported, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. David said to all the servants that were with him in Jerusalem, Get up, we have to flee, or we will not escape from Absalom. Leave quickly, or he will overtake us quickly. Heap disaster on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. The king's servants said to the king, Whatever my lord the king decides, we are your servants. Then the king set out, and his entire household followed him, but he left behind ten concubines to take care of the palace. So the king set out, and all the people followed him. They stopped at the last house while all his servants marched past him. Then all the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and the people of Gath, six hundred men who had came with him from there, marched past the king. The king said to Ittai of Gath, Why are you also going with us? Go back and stay with the new king, since you're both a foreigner and an exile from your homeland. Besides, you only arrived yesterday. Should I make you wander around with us today while I go wherever I can? Go back, take your brothers with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. But in response, Atai vowed to the king, As the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king is, whether it means life or death, your servant will be there. March on, David replied to Atai. So Atai of Gath marched past with all his men and the dependents who were with him. Everyone in the countryside was weeping loudly while all the people were marching out of the city. As the king was crossing the Kidron Valley, all the people were marching past on the road that leads to the wilderness. Zadok was also there, and all the Levites with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. 
They set the Ark of God down in Abiathar, offered sacrifices until the people had finished marching past. Then the king instructed Zadok, Return the Ark of God to the city. If I find favor with the Lord, he will bring me back and allow me to see both it and its dwelling place. However, if he should say, I do not delight in you, then here I am. He can do with me whatever pleases him. The king also said to the priest Zadok, Look, return to the city in peace and your two sons with you, your son Ahamaz and Abiathar's son Jonathan. Remember, I'll wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar returned the ark of God to Jerusalem and stayed there. David was climbing the slope of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he ascended. His head was covered, and he was walking barefoot. All of the people with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they ascended. Then someone reported to David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Lord, David pleaded, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. When David came to the summit where he used to worship God, Hushai the archite was there to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go away with me, you'll be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and tell Absalom, I will be your servant, your majesty. Previously I was your father's servant, but now I will be your servant. Then you can counteract Ahithophel's counsel for me. Won't the priests Zadok and Abiathar be there with you? Report everything you hear from the palace to the priests Zadok and Abiathar. Take note. Their two sons are there with them, Zadok's son Ahimaaz and Abiathar's son Jonathan. Send them to tell me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's personal advisor, entered Jerusalem just as Absalom was entering the city. So, more trouble for David, and spoiler alert, it's going to get worse. More trouble is coming. Trouble and heartache has arrived, and it's already come, and it's on its way. Well, why? Because sin is serious. We must understand this looking back at the cross of Jesus. David's sin, my sin, your sin, our sin. That's what put Jesus on the cross. Our sin is no small thing. Even though God is a God of love and mercy, God is also fully holy. He can't be around sin. And he's fully just. A price must be paid for wrongdoing. In John 19.30, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's dying a horrible death. He's dying the death I deserve. And his last word, I'll never forget, uh, because I remember a preacher back in the day teaching us this. this is one of the first Greek words I ever knew, tetelestai. It's a Greek word that means debt paid, or it is finished, or paid in full. In other words, the price for sin has been paid by the perfect Lamb of God. That's what was written by the merchants on bills that were fully paid. This is what Jesus did. He paid the price for our sin. Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquity. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Ultimately, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we don't have to face what David faced. This doesn't give us license to sin, as Paul warns, but it is good news. In fact, it's great news. To Telestai, 
The price has been paid. This good news is the fullness of the meaning of Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord, for purchasing that free gift with your blood and your suffering. Now let's continue reading. We will go to Psalm 69. Save me, God, for the water has risen to my neck. I have sunk in deep mud, and there is no footing. I have come into deep water, and a flood sweeps over me. I am weary from my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for my God. Those who hate me without cause are more numerous than the hairs of my head. My deceitful enemies who would destroy me are powerful. Though I did not steal, I must repay. God, you know my foolishness, and my guilty acts are not hidden from you. Do not let their... Those who put their hope in you be disgraced because of me. Lord God of armies, do not let those who seek you be humiliated because of me. God of Israel, for I have endured insults because of you, and shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons, because zeal for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. I mourned and fasted, but it brought me insults. I wore sackcloth as my clothing, and I was a joke to them. Those who sit at the city gate talk about me, and drunkards make up songs about me. But as for me, Lord, my prayer to you is for a time of favor. In your abundant, faithful love, God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the miry mud. Don't let me sink. Let me be rescued from those who hate me and from the deep water. Don't let the flood water sweep over me or the deep swallow me up. Don't let the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, for your faithful love is good. In keeping with your abundant compassion, turn to me. Don't hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. Come near to me and redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know the insults I endure, my shame and disgrace. You are aware of all my adversaries. Insults have broken my heart, and I am in despair. I waited for sympathy, but there was none, for comforters, but found no one. Instead, they gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table set before them be a snare, and let it be a trap for their allies. Let their eyes grow too dim to see, and let their hips continually quake. Pour out your rage on them, and let your burning anger overtake them. Make their fortification desolate. May no one live in their tents, for they persecute the one you struck and talk about the pain of those you wounded. Charge them with crime on top of crime. Do not let them share in your righteousness. Let them be erased from the book of life and not be recorded with the righteous. But as for me, poor and in pain, let your salvation protect me, God. I will praise God's name with song and exalt him with thanksgiving. That will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with horns and hooves. The humble will see it and rejoice. You who seek God, take heart. For the Lord listens to the needy and does not despise his own who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah. They will live there and possess it. The descendants of his servants will inherit it and those who love his name will live in it. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, As for you, son of man, will you pass judgment? Will you pass judgment against the city of blood? Then explain all her detestable practices to her. You are to say, This is what the Lord God says, A city that sheds blood within her walls, so that her time of judgment has come, and who makes idols for herself, so that she is defiled. You are guilty of the blood you have shed, and you are defiled from the idols you have made. 
You have brought your judgment days near and have come to your years of punishment. Therefore, I have made you a disgrace to the nations and a mockery to all the lands. Those who are near and those far away from you will mock you, you infamous one full of turmoil. Look, every prince of Israel within you has used his strength to shed blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt and the resident alien is exploited within you. The fatherless and widow are oppressed in you. You despise my holy things and profane my Sabbaths. There are men within you who slander in order to shed blood. People who live in you eat at the mountain shrines. They commit depraved acts within you. Men within you have sexual intercourse with their father's wife and violate women during their menstrual impurity. One man within you commits commits a detestable act with his neighbor's wife. Another defiles his daughter-in-law with depravity. And yet another violates his sister, his father's daughter. People who live in you accept bribes in order to shed blood. You take interest in profit on a loan and brutally extort your neighbors. You have forgotten me. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Now look, I clap my hands together against the dishonest profit you have made and against the blood shed among you. Will your courage endure? Your hands be strong in the days when I deal with you. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will act. I will disperse you among the nations and scatter you among the countries. I will purge your uncleanness. You will be profaned in the sight of the nations, then you will know that I am the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, the house of Israel has become merely dross to me. All of them are copper, tin, iron, and lead inside the furnace. They are just dross from silver. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says, Because all of you have become dross, I am about to gather you into Jerusalem. Just as one gathers silver, copper, iron, lead, and tin into the furnace to blow fire on them and melt them, So I will gather you in my anger and wrath, put you inside and melt you. Yes, I will gather you together and blow on you with the fire of my fury, and you will be melted within the city. As silver is melted inside a furnace, so you will be melted inside that city. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have poured out my wrath on you. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that has not been cleansed, that has not received rain in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets within her is like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, seize wealth and valuables, and multiply the widows within her. Her priests do violence to my instructions and profane my holy things. They make no distinction between the holy and the common, and they do not explain the difference between the clean and the unclean. They close their eyes to my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey, shedding blood, and destroying lives in order to make profit dishonestly. Her prophets plaster for them with whitewash by seeing false visions and lying divinations, saying, This is what the Lord God says when the Lord is not spoken. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and unlawfully exploited the resident alien. I search for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it, but I found no one. So I have poured out my indignation on them and consumed them with the fire of my fury. I have brought their conduct down on their own hands. Heads, this is the declaration of the Lord God. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought on by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that, according to their ability and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped, 
Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he also should complete among you this act of grace. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this is a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving advice because it is profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task, so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little." Thanks be to God who put the same concern for you into the heart of Titus, for he welcomed our appeal and being very diligent went out to you by his own choice. We have sent him with him, the brother who is praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry, and not only that, but he was also appointed by the churches to accompany us with this gracious gift that we are administrating for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about this large sum that we are administrating. Administering. Indeed, we are giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. We have also sent with him our brother. We have often tested him in many circumstances and found him to be diligent, and now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker for you. As for our brothers, they are the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show them proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you. Amen and amen. Well, dear friends, may the Lord bless you greatly. Good day and Godspeed.